0: Today's podcast contains sensitive material. We are discussing human trafficking as well as sex trafficking. So if there are any younger ears that you're listening to this podcast with, we just want you to know that. Also, if you have any experience yourself in that area, um, we will discuss abuse and other issues. So we just want you to know that before you listen. We hope you enjoy this latest podcast from Noisy Narratives. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Noisy Narratives. This is Debbie Vallejo, and I am here along with Christy today. And we have a special guest, so Christy's just going to introduce her. So are you ready?
1: I am. Um, We have Rebecca Jowers with us today. Do we call you Dr. Rebecca Jowers, or does that come later? That's later. 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 Okay. Give me five years. Five years. Okay, we'll come back in five years. So Rebecca Jowers is here with us today, and she is going to talk with us about human trafficking. Um, You have a nonprofit called Pioma. Poema. 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 Mm-hmm. See, I knew I was going to mess that it's up. okay. It's a Greek me. word. It's weird. And, we'll, and she'll <laughs> explain that. Um, she's also a mother and a wife to four daughters. She had four daughters, raise, raise, was raising four daughters in her home at one time, very close together. Um, and she lives in Rockwall. She also is the Dean of Students of Women at DTS, um, which is where our connection is. Um, and so I'm very thankful that you are here today.
2: Thank you for um, having me.
1: Yes. I have a... I was introduced to human trafficking and kind of introduced as a bad word, made aware of it, probably a couple of years ago, and have a strong interest in it and intrigued by it. Um, so much so that what was it, last year or two years ago, uh, Michigan University, not University Michigan State, Michigan State came up with a public service announcement of this is what human trafficking looks like, and it shows um, people coming and going from their everyday life. And it shows in the back corner, you see like this window and you see like this little head sticking out, but you don't see it the first time you watch it. Cause you're watching this guy walking in and like a repair man. And, and then it shows like, this could be someone that needs you essentially is what they're saying. Like open your eyes. Yes. And I was like, whoa. So now I have to say, when I go walking in my neighborhood, I'm always looking at windows, but it did make your, made me open my eyes to see what is going around.
2: So share with us where you came from and how you got to where you're at today that's a great question i uh, f- my history previously to doing what i'm doing was just being an educator mm-hmm. so taught math and science stayed home 13 years raising my daughters mm-hmm. and then when i was entering this new season of life my first daughter was my last daughter was getting ready to start kindergarten and i was going to be home for a period of time 8 to 3 with no children my husband challenged me and he said, What are you going to do now that the kids are all in school? And I'm Wait, thinking. Wait, did you take offense to that when he said that? Okay, thank you. Everybody's, Only moms get this. Uh-huh. I said, what? My what? response was, What do you think I'm going to do? Grocery shopping, laundry, uh-huh. cleaning, cooking, grocery Rest shopping? From the many years I've been carpool. at home with all these kids. Oh, and then there's carpool, and then there's laundry, and then there's more laundry. So <laughs> I was thinking, That's what I'm going to do. And <laughs> and so he goes, Well, you know, um, and then I thought about it, and I thought, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Walmart by myself. Yes. Because the Walmart trip was the most stressful trip of the day. I Mm -hmm. had two carts, one full of children, one full of groceries. My six-year-old's trying to push the cart. You know, the the two-year-old flips out of the cart on her head. You know, it was just chaotic. I finally get all the Mm -hmm. groceries to the car. The milk falls off the cart, breaks open, and just pours down Mm -hmm. the parking lot. And I just sit there and weep because I thought, I cannot unload all these people and go back in and buy more milk. We're going to do without milk. That. So honestly, my goal was to go to Walmart by myself and yeah. not have to take anyone potty. And so my husband, he just listened and looked at me and he goes, you know, Rebecca, that's a great goal for like two weeks, but you need to aim higher. Mm. So he kind of challenged me. So I began to really pray. i getting emotional because for me, you know, I poured my heart and my soul into raising my kids and yes. being a wife. And I was always teaching God's word. I was always teaching women's Bible studies. I had one uh, women's Bible study meet in my home for 16 years as we raised our families together. I'm always teaching my four daughters, so always teaching discipleship groups, Sunday school class. I love teaching. It's mm-hmm. how God's wired me. But I began to really seek the Lord, and I thought, you know, I've been so focused on all of that. I haven't really thought about what else is there? What, what do I want to do? You know, because I kind of felt like I was in my ministry for that season of life, and which you were, I was one hundred percent. But I was entering a new season, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, I'm going to be home from eight to three without a child on my hip, you know, like I'd had for years. What Lord, what do you have for me? Mm-hmm. So I began praying, and I thought, well, I, I love teaching, and all my bucket list was to get my master's. I had started a master's in developmental mathematics. I was teaching math at the University of Texas at El Paso. And my husband proposed. He was living in Dallas. I was living in El Paso. I ended up moving to Dallas. Then I taught math and science in a private Christian school, and then stayed home with my children. So I thought, you know, I never get to finish my master's. So I told my husband, you know, maybe I want to go back to school. I'm just not that passionate about math and science anymore. <laughs> and he goes, well, he goes, well, Beck, Becca, why don't you, why don't you go to seminary? You would love teaching God's word. I'm like, seminary? I don't even know what all those ologies are. You know, isn't that for pastors? I don't know about that. And so it is a big word.
1: <laughs> it is a big, seminary is a big, lofty word. I just if you don't know. understand how no. it is
2: simple. It, it's really quite simple. I had no clue. And so we had a couple of friends in our life group and from church that were students at Dallas Seminary. So I went to them. I cooked dinner, invited them over, mm-hmm. and um, I'm like, "Tell me about Dallas Seminary. Is this, you know, is this for women? First of all, is it mm-hmm. for pastors? What is it?" And so, the more study and research I did, and then I went on a preview day, and I thought, "Okay, I think the Lord is calling me." I felt really, you know, it was it was kind of the First Timothy, you know, getting equipped to teach God's word and handling it appropriately, and I thought that's. That's what I love doing. I love teaching God's word. And honestly, it was sort of a midlife crisis for me. I was in my 40s and I thought, gosh, as I was thinking through this new season of life, I thought my life is half over at best. I'm in my 40s and I would like to spend the last half of my life having more of an impact on where people spend eternity. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I'd, I'd love to get equipped to teach God's word well and to have more of an opportunity to do that. So that's how I ended up at Dallas Seminary. While I was there, I um God did a radical transformation in my life so I um I had was a survivor of abuse which I had never dealt with and didn't know and so when I had to join a spiritual formation group and go through this Intense curriculum with a safe community a small group. It's, it's when God shone the light in a dark area Satan had kept hidden mm-hmm. So my healing from that journey began And then while I was there towards the end of my time at DTS, I really began seeking the Lord What do you have next for me We well, real fast? You said that you came from a home of abuse and that you didn't know it I was sexually abused as a kid, but I did not identify as a victim of abuse Oh, And the reason I didn't is because, and and I'll tell you most of the. That's pretty common. It's uh, so common. common. Mm -hmm. It's so common. And so, because to me, the definition of abuse was rape and that's not what happened to me. Okay. And so, um, and you're a child, so you don't have language for what's happening to you. Yeah. And so as you get older, you know, there's this day the light bulb goes on mm-hmm. and, and, and you find your voice. Mm-hmm. And um, part of the reason I do what I do today is because I feel like God has called me to be a voice for women who don't have a voice. Oh, I love that. So can and I ask
0: you real quick before absolutely. you get too far out? Um, what was the curriculum that you went through?
2: It's a spiritual <laughs> formation. And okay. so the spiritual formation department has a four-year a two-year, four-semester curriculum. And the first semester is identity. So you look at your family, your heritage, your your ethnicity, which was challenging. It's so The second semester is community, so you tell your life story, so you really build. That's the worst part right there. I had never told my story. (laughs) I mean, I had never told my story. And so, and I remember talking to the Lord, I don't have to tell that part, right? And he's like, Rebecca, are you going to do this? That's
1: what happened
2: to me. Yeah. But it was great because you're sitting there with ladies that
1: you've been with for good good semesters. You would meet, like for us, we met every Thursday from like 12 to 2 or 1230 to 2. It's once Once a a week week. for
2: for two years. For two years. The same ladies. It's wonderful. And you can't leave them if they annoy you or they bother you. But God put them together. Like, it's preordained for all of y'all to so sit So I ended up getting hired to be on staff at DTS working in the spiritual formation department as a fellow. Oh, and we you. would lay the women out and pray yes. and ask the yes. Lord who needs to be in which group with whom. Yeah. And sometimes he wanted you in the group with the person that was going to annoy you because that's yes. how you grow. Right. Which I <laughs> always know? bothered
1: me when people got bothered by people in the yes. group. Like, you, you're you getting bothered for other reasons, you need to evaluate why you're
2: really bothered. Well, see, that's the whole thing. And I'm so passionate about story. Mm-hmm. And we can talk more about that. But in the healing process for me, um, I told my story for the first time. And then I was asked to lead a group and I had to tell my story again. Then I was hired on staff for three years. And you train leaders to tell their story by telling your story. But your
0: story becomes a lighter load to carry. Absolutely. The more you Every time I told it, more right? of
2: my story. Yes. The first time, is it was one sentence, eyes down, cast shame. Yes. By the time I graduated, my last day at DTS, my last day as a fellow, I shared my story with our co-ed staff, men and women in the room. So God truly used it as my healing journey. Um, And so while I was there at DTS in my – your last year, your last semester of spiritual formation is all about vision casting – And where is God calling you to ministry? And so for me, during my time at DTS, I have always, I taught in an inner city school in the body was in South El Paso um, to at-risk kids. Where were you? What school were you at
0: in El Paso? um,
2: Park. It was, are you familiar with El Paso? I I taught at Secora. Okay. So I was right on the border of um, Hart Elementary School. I don't know if you know where that is. I mean, literally it's, here's the river and here's my school.
0: Okay.
2: So So you were on the West side.
0: Were you on the west side? Well,
2: that's central El Paso. It's like okay. right where the bridge is to okay. go across to Mexico. I was a on lot the northeast
0: of, side. <clears throat> yes.
2: Yeah. yeah, far northeast. Mm-hmm. And I grew up on the west side. I'm from El Paso. Okay. So wow. It's kind of cool. I'll have to yeah. talk more about that yeah, later. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but I had always a, a heart for at-risk youth, um, for teenagers, for mm-hmm. people living in poverty. So kind of mercy ministry, mm-hmm. homeless. You know, I felt called to do that. And then while I was a student at DTS, I went to a breakout session during WEC week, our World Evangelism Conference week, and I went to a session on human trafficking. So now I was introduced to this whole other area. So then that was kind of on my radar. You kind of put all these areas. I could work with at-risk youth. I could work with the homeless. I could work with survivors of abuse. I have a passion for conflict resolution because Christians, nobody people don't reserve, resolve conflict well and as christians i believe we should really model that and mm-hmm. so i thought boy i'd love to have ministry and conflict resolution i didn't really know how to resolve conflict and we don't
0: practice it well we don't. in the church matthew
2: 18 we don't we but don't we pray about it. we pray for those people but we're not yeah. going to love
1: <laughs> so your enemy you know all of that it comes yeah. down to that. yeah we don't so i felt yeah. called to that we so like i thought maybe shirts, maybe yeah.
2: i'll go to prom Peace, peacemakers and get certified in that. So I uh-huh. just was really searching and then human trafficking was tacked on there. So you go to your SF group and you kind of lay out where you feel like God's calling you and they pour, they speak into your life. So as I graduated, I was I had been wanting to go on an international mission trip and my husband kept saying, No, you can't go anywhere where they're actively killing people. We have four children and I can't raise them without you. So when I <laughs> he grasped, when he said hey, hi, he was right. like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> so when I graduated from seminary and the children were a little bit older, he said, I said, I really feel like God's calling me to go on a mission trip. And he said, Okay. So a pastor at my church contacted my best friend, prayer partner, mentor. She called me. I was literally on my way to a volleyball tournament in Houston. And I get a call, hey, Pastor Rod's invited us to go on a mission trip. And I thought, I can't believe that. I was literally just telling my mother-in-law my husband I felt called to go. So I ended up going to China. And when we got back from China, I'd gotten to know this pastor. And he asked me during the, the meeting, um, hey, what, it, what are your goals after seminary? And I said, well, my big, hairy, audacious goal would be to open a safe house for survivors of human trafficking. That's a huge goal. And then I thought— oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that out loud. Yeah, I'm crazy. I don't know how to do that. And the pastor looked at me and he goes, really? And I said, I know, I'm crazy, right? I'm, <laughs> But you know what was so encouraging? I was a stay-at-home mom working part-time at DTS, um, raising my children, teaching, um, going to school, and just doing life. And This pastor, now that I had graduated from seminary, I had a whole new world to me because, you know, I'm not studying. I'm not reading a book. I don't know what to do with myself. You have brain space. Because it takes so much time, you know, to do that. Well, this pastor sent me an email the next day, and all he said is, follow your heart heart as the Lord leads. Mm -hmm. And it was the one vote of confidence I thought, he thinks I can do this. And for me, that was so empowering and so I began to pray. And then when we got back from China, he invited me to a meeting. Now, this is where I want to warn all the people listening on this podcast. When your pastor invites you to a meeting to be part of a team, you say yes. Beware. because (laughs) So he says, Rebecca, um, I've been wanting to start a human trafficking ministry at Lake Point Church under the umbrella of child advocacy. So we have adoption foster care. We have crisis pregnancy center. And we need an anti-trafficking ministry to help children. Would you want to be on the team um, to serve? And I thought, I would love to be on the team. So I went to the meeting, and I walk in, and Pastor Rod's sitting at the table, and there's all these empty chairs. And I'm like, am I early? Where is everybody? And I walk in, I sit down, and we're the only two at the meeting. And I remember walking out of that meeting thinking, I think he wants me to start a (laughs) ministry. I don't think he's going to start the ministry. But it was just he challenged me. And he believed in me and he he said, I saw leadership on your life. And so to me, it was the encouragement I needed to step out in faith to do what I felt like God was calling me to do. So you've
1: been encouraged by your husband to step challenged, out of faith, challenged, challenged and, and encouraged. encouraged. And then by your pastor, challenged and encouraged.
2: Absolutely. It's amazing. Awesome. And so what I did is I just uh, I started an anti-trafficking ministry at our church and I held I held I just emailed my friends and said, hey, um, I'm going to be teaching about human trafficking if you want to come and learn. Please come and invite your friends. And I'd been researching for about two years at this point because I felt like God okay, was calling me. Okay, because it made it sound me. like you had the meeting with Pastor
1: Rod, and then the next
2: day you were like, hey, I'm having a meeting. So prior to that, while I was still in seminary, yeah. my last couple of years, God kept bringing trafficking to to, okay. to my attention. Mm-hmm. And so I began reading. I began researching. I began looking at it. And, and I really felt like God was calling me to go to Cambodia. I saw this, this video from International Justice Mission. I went home and told my husband, I know why God called us to seminary. He wants us to move to Cambodia so I can help these women in a safe house and he's like uh no god doesn't want me to go to Cambodia and I was like god when are you telling him we're going to Cambodia really in my heart I knew I was called to this ministry but I really only knew about trafficking in an international context, oh, okay. so I just patiently waited, which I'm which I'm proud of myself because I'm not normally a patient person. But I kept thinking, Lord, when are you going to tell him? When are you mm-hmm. going to tell him? So two years later, I graduate, and I'm like, okay, Lord, you haven't told him, so apparently I've got something mm-hmm. wrong here. And that's when I began researching what does trafficking look like in America? It's what different. is it? Is it different? It is. So Acts one eight, you know, when Jesus sent the disciples out, mm-hmm. they went to. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Well, I was already trying to go to the ends of the the earth. earth. And God told me, Rebecca, what about your Jerusalem? What about your Judea and Samaria? So I began looking at trafficking nationally. Then I began looking at it in Texas. And then I began looking at it in my neighborhood, in my backyard. And it's happening in our backyards. It's happening in Frisco. It's happening in Carrollton. It's happening in Rockwall. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this almost 10 years now. And I can tell you story after story of our children. It's not just women being trafficked from... Other countries to America, yes, that's happening, but it's happening to our domestic kids as well. And
1: that's what we want to get into. Yes, um, but I love how God has brought you to where you're at. Because I think it resonates so much with so many women that are staying home with their kids. That are like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to go? And your eyes and your vulnerability got you to a place that people were able to shed light on and encourage. Because if you don't, if you're not vulnerable, I can't say that word, vulnerable, with people
2: then they don't know where you're at and you're not real and honest. And 100% so I think it's a high value. I have it and is. authenticity and vulnerability and, and you have to be vulnerable though with the right people. You have to yes. be wise who that's to be right. vulnerable with. And
0: I also think there's, I'm hearing a lot of humility in your story because I think sometimes we, we go, we think we know what we want where God's putting us and you have to pay attention. Okay. Yeah. So, and so I think that's amazing too. And women can learn from that.
2: Yes. <laughs> why, yeah. why did I go to seminary? To get equipped to teach God's word. Sure. What do I do today? Yeah. Not not that. I mean I do but you have opportunities your training in other ways. I have opportunities yeah. and I teach Bible studies and I speak at women's conferences. But my idea was I'm gonna go teach at a Christian school, I'm gonna go to a Bible college and I'm just gonna teach the Bible all day. I apply God's word every day to what I do, but I'm a voice for vulnerable women. And mm-hmm. there's a great book called Vindicating the Vixens oh. about women in the Bible. We did a we study did that. on that okay. last year. We it's loved, phenomenal. We even have uh-huh. her, the editor, Gwan, on a, yes. yeah.
0: on a uh, so, the, so there call. is
2: humility yeah. in that to do. And, That's an excellent book. And I'll we tell can't you, recommend that enough Yes, know. do it <laughs> 100%. Um, but there, there is. And, and honestly, so the ministry at my church, I realized, oh, my gosh, if we're going to open a safe house, this is way bigger than one church. And so, again, I stepped out in faith and started a nonprofit because I couldn't find one doing what I was already doing. I'm a team person, played sports my whole life. I wanted to be on a team. Mm -hmm. I had to start a nonprofit.
0: And the nonprofit you started specifically was to bring churches together to work together. The
2: vision God gave me was to bring the body of Christ in the Metroplex to come together to fight human trafficking, to to sustain a safe house for women. So again, I didn't want to do that because there's all the whole side I don't like, like the administrative side and the board and the budget and blah, blah, blah. I just wanted to sit with a woman on the curb in her pain Mm -hmm. and hear her story Mm -hmm. and see how I could help her. Mm -hmm. But we don't always get to do what God, Mm -hmm. what we want to do. We have to do what God has called us to do. Because sometimes you're filling
0: a need and it means your weakness is where God is shining, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't mean you're always playing to your
2: strengths.
0: Mm 100%. Yeah. And he will
2: stretch you and, Mm -hmm. you know. And we shouldn't
0: be afraid of that, right? But it hurts. We talk about this all the time. I, I mean,
2: I tried for three years to quit <laughs> the ministry because it was so hard and it was so dark and oh, I was so tired so of hearing horrific abuse stories. The first five women in our safe house were all abused under the age of five. One was adopted at three days old for the purpose of being trafficked. Oh. Another woman was two years old, abused by her biological father and her grandmother. One girl was 18 months old, abused by her biological father, and then um, she was pulled from her family and adopted, and then her adopted father abused her, kicked Mm -hmm. out of the house at 18, a pimp picked her up two days later. And so just to hear those abuse stories, first a beginning at such a young age, it set them up to be vulnerable, to become a victim of human trafficking. And, you know, part of my passion is for us to view girls, boys, women that are in this life through a different set of lenses, and that's the power of story. Mm -hmm. Because if, you know, for me, I used to think I have nothing in common with that girl on the corner. She's a bad girl who's rebelled or supporting her drug habit or choosing that life or choosing an easy way to make money. How many times have you heard that? Porn's yeah. an easy way to make money. I'm I'm, lo- I'm making, but I know a lady that was going through an Ivy League college, putting herself through as a porn star. I had a good friend at you Tech know. that did the same thing. Yeah. and it, <laughs> And it's not easy money. Yeah. And the more I heard her share And talk about what she was doing it was all about control yes which showed me there's something deeper in her story that she feels like she has control like i've I've talked to women who have come out of the life and we were i would do uh i was a part of two support groups one the women had been out of the life more than a year so longer than a year the other was women who had just come out of the life their first you know just not even a year they'd been out of the life and in that second support group i had a woman and we were just sitting there talking and asking questions and she said, you know, sometimes I miss it. And you never ask the question why. I will just tell you it's a shaming question. Mm-hmm. Why would you lock your keys in your car? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, because I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, my, yeah. you know, so you can, a great question is to say, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. So when this woman said, sometimes I miss the life, and I could see her kind of day, daydreaming, mm-hmm. and I said, tell me more about that. Tell me more about missing the life. Mm-hmm. She said, well, you know, I had control. I could tell him what I'd do, what I wouldn't do, what I was going to charge. So it was all about control, over the man well this went all the way back to her story where a man had been controlling her and so it's just been a very humbling journey and and i have i I did try to quit because of the darkness but honestly i'll tell you a fabulous story pastor rod who's the pastor at our church that i always tell him it's all your fault that i'm doing this well he he took a sabbatical right after this got started that was supposed mm-hmm. to be a year and it turned into 5 years and he moved to Colorado and he was back working in as as an architect in the field architectural field and so i i thought oh okay he you, you high know left me high and dry here <laughs> but he still mentored me yeah. he would check in with me i mean it got to where maybe twice a year we would check in well one day i had i drove up here in frisco actually was meeting with one of our poema leaders at a local restaurant and i got there 15 minutes early and i'm very efficient with my time so i, I pull my phone out and i'm reading oh new application for residency at our safe house so i think oh i have time to read this application so i can respond to it after my leader meeting i'm sitting in the car reading it we've had a lot of women who have been victims of satanic ritual abuse so here's another woman her abuse story started at age five and i'm in my car weeping reading this woman's story thinking how am i going to gain my composure to walk in and have a meeting with my leader and encourage my leader and encourage encourage them in the ministry because right now i want to quit I'm sick of looking evil in the face. I'm sick of hearing about children being abused. Yes. Yeah. At that moment, now, I hadn't talked to Rod in probably six months. I got a text from him, mm-hmm. and it was a psalm. And I can't even tell you the psalm. I opened it up. I read it, and I, and I texted him, are you free right now? We had a quick phone call. And I said, you have no idea how what you just—you know, if God puts it on your heart to encourage someone or send mm-hmm. them a verse— act on it, you now. know, because I'll tell you, yeah. it was incredible. And I said, you have no idea how I needed to hear this. And I shared with him what I was struggling with. I said, I'm so tired of evil. Mm-hmm. I'm so tired of darkness. I'm so tired of abuse. I don't mm-hmm. want to do this every day anymore. And I'd had multiple, Joy Baker, had a melt. I had a mm-hmm. meltdown with her one day about evil in the world. I said, I know in my head, God is good. Um, I, was, I was reading another intake and in the background, the song, He's a Good, Good Father came on and I was like, no, he's not. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. Two-year-old, newborns, three-year-olds are getting abused. How can you be good? In my theology and my training and trusting God's word, I know you are, but I don't get it. Yeah. And so what happened, it was very pivotal for me. Pastor Rod that day, had that, we had that phone call. And what he said to me, which I have never felt like I need to quit since this phone call. He told me, he said, Rebecca, you're looking at it from the wrong lens. You're looking at it from the wrong direction. You are looking at what the enemy has done and you need to be focusing on what God is doing. And it was this pivotal moment for me of realizing I have an abuse story. These women have an abuse story, but my story is part of what drew me to my Savior. And my story is what my Savior is using to allow me to serve and minister to other people. And so because of that, I was able to open my hands like this and say, Lord, you are the savior for these women, not me. I have taken on being their savior. I have the privilege of being a little piece of their story. Mm -hmm. And I have a privilege of playing one little part, but ultimately you are responsible. And so that was a dramatic shift for me in my ministry. And since then, I've never felt like I need to quit. And Mm -hmm. so it's just been... Just took the burden off your shoulder all of a sudden, right? It did because i You remember the the verse, come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, Mm -hmm. and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because my burden is easy and light. Well, if you're yoked to the Lord, to Christ, Mm -hmm. it is an easy burden. But if you're trying to carry it all, it's not.
0: And it's interesting because I do think that that takes such a level of maturity that, I mean, I worked at a shelter for abused kids, and runaways when I was in college, right? And so part of my story is when I quit was because of finding out someone I worked with that I was friends with had been abusing one of our girls. And it turns out later several of our girls and like going through turning that person in and what that looked like, that evil in the world. But I mean, I'm like 20, right? Yes. I mean, so talk about how I I feel like so many of us, it's not until probably the last five years that that has sunk in with me about not the Savior, about wanting. And we went through a study, and somebody actually asked me that question. We were sharing our story, kind of similar to the formation thing. Christy was in that with us. As I'm sharing these stories, they asked, so how do you work through not wanting like heaven now? Yes. Not wanting to those things that are built in us in the image of God like justice. Um, yes. That that kind of thing. How are, How do you not... Daily, that's part of the burden you're trying to get rid of. Is wanting justice now, wanting heaven now, knowing it's not going to stop. This evil is not stopping.
2: It feels fruitless, right? It feels hopeless, fruitless or... and
0: difficult. So, how do you work through that level of maturity to get there, and then constantly give that to the Lord every day? And like I said, I'm in my 40s, and it's just it. It's been the last few years that I've really.
2: It's a wonderful understood that more. wonderful question, and I'll tell you, it is something. God has very much humbled me with. I'm 56. I'll be 57 this year. Just now I have a strong sense of justice. So when I found my voice, um, after being abused, I used it to the tilt. So for instance, um, I was not allowed to have a voice growing up. And so basically for me, When I found my voice, I used my voice and I would, and I would defend my point, even if I knew I was wrong. Like in the back of my mind, it's like, Rebecca, why are you still arguing this point? You know, you're wrong, but I was not going to let someone take my voice. So this is my twenties. Okay. So then as I matured, I realized that's, that's not really, you know, that's not healthy. And so then I learned humility, you know, it's okay. So for me, what I learned through a lot of counseling is that my value and self-worth was in my performance. And so, so if you that's were That's where I
0: came to, too. Was yes. Exactly that same yes. spot.
2: And so yeah. it's been that even in my head, even going through seminary, in my head, I knew I have value and worth because I am made in the image of God, because I am his child, because he loves me, because he died for me. But there was a disconnect in my heart with the way I was Absolutely. living. I was still very performance driven. But I will tell you just this semester, or I'm in my doctoral program now, and I took a class called Understanding Women in Contemporary Cultures. And what God showed me is that Rebecca... I have a strong sense of justice. It's one of the reasons I started this ministry, because children being sold for sex is not right. It's not just and um, and we do have to be a voice and we do have to say something. Uh, We do have to fight evil.
0: We do have to to fight evil and we are called to to do it. There's a
2: lot of verses that call us to do that. But the word that God kept giving me was gentleness, gentleness, gentleness. How do I be a voice? with gentleness and with love and with compassion, even for the perpetrator. Yeah. So I, I pray for the perpetrators. I pray for the pimps. When you hear their story, I've, I heard a story of a pimp, and I'm not going to— I finally—five years it took me I finally bought his book. I didn't want to give him my money, but I wanted to get in the head of the perpetrator. That's your justice
1: coming out right there. It was I'm yeah. like I'm not buying your book. Can, <laughs> Can I get it free
2: anywhere? Uh, yeah. Is it? <laughs> Can um, I? Is it, half, it <laughs> half price books? So yeah. I finally bought it. I'm not going to say the name of it. I really don't want to, you know, promote it. Um, however, they write books on how to break women down, and she's on the floor like a dog. How to psychologically break a woman. Or a girl or a child. And it makes me so. Or a boy. Oh, it just makes me We have so many yes, boys yes, in our yes. that were trafficked 100%. themselves.
0: And and I think what's hard is seeing the cycle, like you're saying, yes. happen over and over. And I think that's what ends up breaking us. Yes. Is like that just. But it takes the humility and it takes the gentleness to get. You can't fix it. You're not meant to fix something right. that took Jesus on the cross.
2: That's right. To do. I mean. And to present, but- to present it in a, in a way that's attractive. Because anytime yeah. you're standing for justice in, a, in an off- offensive way, yeah. offense, yeah. it creates a, a, a defensive reaction that's a really good point right and so I don't want is people, people supposed to come that's from right. Us anyway, right I don't want people to be defensive mm-hmm. because then they don't hear me
0: mm-hmm.
2: so I want to present it with humility and gentleness because then I have a voice if I don't do it that way I don't have a voice yeah. so in in trying to save even work working with the perpetrator you know there's so many men addicted to porn which is the portal and entry mm-hmm. to trafficking and they, they try
0: to pretend it's not and they are in the is. church yeah. they're
2: in the church oh. and they are pastors yeah. Nate Larkin I am second video. He wrote a book called The Samson Society. Samson and the Pirate Monks. His organization is The Samson Society. Watch his video. Very humble man. But for five years, preaching from the pulpit, keeping his sins secret because there's so much shame. Because we Christians don't love others well. And And so— What is it, 70% at least of men in the church? So one of the counselors that that I work with who's a Christian therapist and he only counsels Christian people, 100% of the young boys he counsels are addicted to porn. Yeah. One hundred percent. Wow.
0: And that's if they're if that's the ones in his office. Yeah, Those I mean, are the so ones in his
2: office that are Christians. That are Christians. Yeah. Like so I, so people who don't have the Holy Spirit real, and they're not believers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's not even that conviction. No. You know. Yeah. So the so the point that you're saying, you know, we we want to pray for the perpetrators. We want to pray for, you know, this this pimp. His story is he was one of he had three brothers and his father would sit them down and scream at them. What's my name? And they would scream his name. And he would do that for hours. Mm. And this boy would be so angry and, and bitter toward his father because he had to sit there for hours and scream his father's name. Well, what does that tell you about his father? Hungry for his name to have significance and value. Well, then this young boy grew up and he said, I walked on the streets and I noticed people in the neighborhood knew my dad's name. And then he followed in the footsteps and became a pimp. And his whole goal as a teenage, I think it was a 17-year-old kid, was to steal women from the other pimp in the neighboring, you know, it's territorial. Mm-hmm. And so he set out to be that goal and he did it. And mm-hmm. he he's written a book on how to, how to mm-hmm. do it. And so those are broken people that need to know the Lord and that need to know Jesus. And yes, do we need justice? Yes, they need to go to, to jail. And mm-hmm. I went to, I sat in on the trial, a 14-year-old girl that got trafficked out of Garland. I sat in on her trial. And the perpetrator, at the time she was trafficked, he was 21. By the time it went to trial, she was 16 and he was 23. And it's heart wrenching to sit in there. Her, her mother had um, her mother had been a survivor of abuse. Um, she was gang raped at 11. She didn't get help or counseling. You know, it's kind of difficult to mm-hmm. to to get that sometimes from to get your family to take you to get that. It's just they had. She she had a handicapped brother, you know. So I mean, it was just a lot of dysfunction in the family. And getting
0: to counseling can actually be a burden. So
2: we even offered to give rides yeah, and that's transportation. Amazing. Our organization would do that through volunteers. It's only amazing because we have amazing volunteers. Yeah. But anyway, so so then at fourteen, the scroll on Facebook or some social media platform, a pimp had known her for a year and said, "Come run away with me. We'll have a house. We'll have a family. We'll get married." Was the promise? So she she got trafficked. Well, at sixteen, they go to trial. The the pimp now perpetrator is 23. And I just remember seeing this little girl sitting on the stand, prefrontal cortex. she's on trial too. She, she's, she's, right? being pinch, she's being cross-examined. She's being cross-examined by the defense mm-hmm. attorney. So he's defending his client, which we have a wonderful justice system. And if you were falsely accused, you would want to have a good defense attorney. You know, obviously this is a great system. But as the victim's advocate, it's hard for me to see the 16-year-old little girl Whose prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed, who's a victim of trauma, who has gaps in her memory, who dissociates when she's being raped by a buyer because she's a kid and she can't process it, so she doesn't remember things, not be able to answer some questions, so she's made to look out to be a liar. Right. That's exactly. the whole defense. Mm-hmm. So it's just hard to sit there. I'm not the silent advocate. Mm-hmm. I am the vocal advocate. Yeah. Uh, but I was in the courtroom listening, and that day, though, God broke my heart for the men because I listened to the pimp. I listened to his mother. His mother had actually rented a hotel room for him to take the girl to because she was having people over and didn't want them to know he had a teenage girl in the home. So I learned more of his story. So basically no father, his older brother's in jail. He had already been in jail previously. He's 23. His mom works in in, in a lower paying city job and, um,
0: I mean, if it's the only life you know, he, he how, has can no you how can you aspire to more? How can you possibly aspire to anything else?
2: Yes. He has no man yeah. speaking into his life. He has no yeah. man teaching him. He has no – nobody sharing Christ mm-hmm. with him from what I know. And so um, he got a conviction of 62 years and he was cocky in the courtroom and he was winking at the girl. So there's another girl he was selling who was in jail at the time he was selling the girl on trial because um, he didn't have money. So he was trying to bail her out. Well, she's in the courtroom. His mother's in the courtroom. Another pimp and a bottom girl, which is really the top girl. They call her the bottom, the girl that's running all the other girls and managing them. I they're in the courtroom. In <laughs> they're all in the courtroom. God, and 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 she's there. And this girl's family was not in the courtroom because they were going to have to testify. And I don't think they could sit there and hear yeah. what happened. So we have a team that goes and will sit in trial as silent advocates. But it was just so challenging. But what happened to me is this young man, he's cocky. He's winking at his girl and his family. And you just know he he's acting like, hey, I'm going to get off. This is no big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, when he got his conviction, sexual assault of a minor, com- compelling prostitution, and human trafficking, 62 years His jaw almost hit the floor. The prosecuting attorney was pleading the jury to give him 25 years. They gave him the max 62 years. And I remember that day, my heart breaking. Mm -hmm. I thought, what a life that's wasted. A 23-year-old young man who's going to be in jail. And I began praying for him. And I began praying that he would, some Christian ministry Mm -hmm. or man, that Lord would put a pall in his life to share the gospel with him while he is in prison, because really what ultimately matters is where is he spending eternity? And so Poema actually this year is just stepping up and starting a ministry to young men aging out of foster care to try Mm. to provide mentorship and and to keep them from
0: turning into that. To prevent them from being
2: buyers or pimps or, you know. That's amazing. That's
0: awesome. It's a new
2: initiative uh, addressing the demand side.
0: And and. I think that— people don't realize like with the cycle the cyclical part of things in foster care like a lot of these kids they're not adopted they're in and out of shelters they're in and out of homes there's absolutely no foundation in their lives and so we would see the same kiddos come through because ours was an emergency shelter so they would get pulled first before they were put to home so we would see the same groups the same kiddos come through over and over and over, and then all of a sudden they age out. They're eighteen. And that's, what do they do? That's They're our done. Target there's population. no for them to go, which is awesome. So so why did you decide that? What what drove you to go from just helping the girls to going, okay, there's something else that has to be done about these
2: eighteen year olds. It's a great question, and it's because of what you just said. So you have observed the problem, right? We're and for me, human trafficking is not going to stop. No. As long as there is sin in the world and there's pornography and all of this. So I began to feel kind of helpless. I thought the only way trafficking is going to stop is if you address the demand. Why are kids being sold? Because there is a demand. It's economics. There's money and there are men that want to buy. And so if we can change the hearts of men, we can make a dent in the problem of human trafficking. It's the only way it's going to stop. And so we want to somehow... Get these young boys aging out of foster care, provide them a safe community where they have an opportunity to get housing or to get an education, to have a mentor, to get job training. How many of you, you know, I've got, I've got, my kids are 21, 23, 25, and 27. They have needed support getting launched to independence. Absolutely, These kids you're talking about, you saw in that shelter, don't have the support system. So we want to step in. And provide that we're looking at actually purchasing a home that will be for boys aging out of foster care. That is wow. incredible. So that's that's why that's why because we wanted to address the demand because
0: mm-hmm. it's about seeing the need. There's a need there, but it's yes. dark and it's hard. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think this was what Christy was talking about. How do you start? Um, how do you plug people in to fill those spots that are needed when you're? It's hard, like you were saying.
2: Yes. Like, well, tell like,
1: the so stories do do? too, so because so people can understand define trafficking first
2: great 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 oh, thank you for asking because people question. do have a lot of different so ideas so let, let me what tell you what like. trafficking yeah. is not oh that's a, i love that the huh? white van pulled up yeah that's what the guys following me through yeah. walmart mm-hmm. staring at my child it's human trafficking no mm-hmm. that is not human trafficking is it a perpetrator possibly right predator could be a pedophilia it could be You know, but it is not, that's not how human trafficking rings work. Mm -hmm. So, human trafficking, the definition of human trafficking is basically it involves controlling a person using force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of exploiting them. It could be labor exploitation, it could be sexual exploitation. Force, fraud, and coercion are the three key elements that if it's an adult, if they're over 18 or older, you have to be able to prove when you go to court. That there yes. was force, fraud, or coercion to sell this person or to force them to work. Okay? So
1: labor, sex, and those, ki- so in labor, those kids. So labor trafficking,
2: sex trafficking, that's the definition. The Trafficking okay. Victims Protection Act was passed in 2000. Mm-hmm. And it's been there's been multiple revisions to it since then. Now, if the person is a minor, you do not have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. So, for instance, if there's a runaway kid, which you saw many at that shelter. why? um we I got cou- in trouble cuz i ran after one one time yeah <laughs> yes, <laughs> my I,
0: boss was like don't
2: ever do that again it, it can be there. dangerous yeah, but, um, like, Call the police. yeah but we had yes. a lot of safety protocol in place yeah. but so there's a kid couch surfing hey you yeah. know and there's a lot of perpetrators like oh you need a place to say you're hungry come sleep on my couch oh by the way you have to have sex with me even mm-hmm. though he didn't sell her if there's an exchange of goods so so she gave he gave her food clothing and shelter but by the way you have to have sex with me he can get a human trafficking charge brought against him
0: and then it's mm-hmm. consent too with a minor. It's not just the fraud and the, you're so that you're saying So I'm you-
2: so glad you said the word consent because a minor. There is no such thing as a child prostitute. A child cannot cannot give consent consent. to sex. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing that up. That's a huge... Oh, I could talk for an hour about consent and what people are trying to do to get that put into the language of sex education for our children in schools. I just recently testified um, before the Texas Education Agency because for the first time in 20 years, our health standards came up for review of what's being taught in health classes in the schools. And they were trying to get consent put in there. And I'm like... Please don't, te- please don't allow consent mm-hmm. because a kid's prefrontal cortex isn't fully mm-hmm. developed. And if you've been abused as a child or experienced any kind of trauma, a parent dying, an illness, you are, have delayed development. That's right. And so you are not going to be functioning at your chronological age. And
0: your brains even make connections in places they weren't supposed to be connected Bad yet. Bad
2: triggers. Yeah. Yep. Bad well, neuro- a question neuroplasticity.
1: So these people or these kids that are being trafficked, is it all homeless or... And all I'm say all, but what types? Because people a lot of go, runaways probably runaways. But what about the people that are on their device that okay. have entry like Xbox, you know, Snapchat?
2: Those oh entry things.
1: points, yeah, those oh, kind of things. Okay, question.
2: so A, B, C, D, E, all of the above. E, all of the above. Yeah. So obviously, run right, the more. And I'm I, saying I, that because I don't want our women no. they're listening to be like, "Well, my kid lives in a nice home. We go to mm-hmm.
1: church." But no, no, no. You need to put safety. Protocols in place, even in your home own home, because what if your kids mad at you one night? We've had so many kids trafficked out of the church. We have had I had a
2: child from Frisco, upper middle class family, father, associate, pastor, mother, corporate world, who had a and it's so the the key is vulnerability factors. Obviously, runaways are a high population of um, child, a a kid being within 48 hours of being on the street, they're typically approached by a perpetrator because they know where they go. 24 hour stores that are open, dart rail stations, anywhere they can get out of the weather, bus station, um, any place open to get inside, you know, that's where the perpetrators are hanging Mm -hmm. out at 2 AM. You haven't eaten. I I had a 15 year old girl. I helped. She'd been on the streets, got in a fight with her mom. She -hmm. lived in Vickery Meadows, immigrant family, vulnerable population, on the streets two days. I was 15 years old on the streets of Dallas. It was December. It was raining. It was cold. I was hungry. I was tired. I was scared. And he promised me the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's how she got recruited. So that's one vulnerable population. But makes it's your Frisco it's, kid, though. Yeah, but it's really more about it's yes. Runaways are vulnerable, and we think of that homelessness, um, poverty. Runaways, yes. However, what we don't think of, and our actually our campaign for North Texas Giving this day, North Texas Giving Day is in September, and it's a it's a day that, you know, the city all comes mm. together and tries to get people to give. Our campaign this year is called "You Think Your Kid Is Safe," yeah, and we're good. talking about exactly about this. Having done this for ten years, I've never had a victim who was kidnapped, abducted. Stolen at a park, right? Every single one of Take the taken from the mall by
1: one of the doors on the corner, where people are like, "Don't let your daughter walk by the doors of the mall." And I'm like, "Don't okay, let okay, talk to anybody." anybody. The doors <laughs> of the mall, and they're like, "Mom, this is ridiculous." So obviously, yes.
2: it's important to not talk to people you don't yes. know. But how many people are doing that every single day on their phone device? Devices. So it is an open door to every predator on the internet. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you two quick stories. Good. One, the girl in Frisco. I'll finish. Um, she had a had a daddy wound, so basically, there was a divorce in the family. her father she was not allowed to speak to her biological father. and again, I'm not blaming anybody or casting blame. That mother thought she was doing the best thing to protect her daughter cause the father was had been in jail and was not healthy, so she was trying to protect her little daughter. Mm-hmm. Well, now a five- year old daughter's twelve. I miss my daddy. Does he love me? Why can't I talk to him? Can't I see him? So she is what we call a daddy wound. So guess what these perpetrators? A pimp has a girl call him daddy for a reason. He is stepping in. He's getting to know her on social media. He's having conversations with her. He knows her vulnerabilities. He'll take a year. He'll take six months. You know why? He's talking to 20 or 30 girls. He can take his time. One day it's like, hey, baby, come run away with me. And I'll
0: protect you. Anyone that tries I'll, to hurt you, I can be your daddy. I will, I can, I will protect absolutely.
2: you. Absolutely. Yeah. And so she did. And um, and so this this particular girl, she's actually got a, a nice success story. She's in college now. Mm-hmm. But it took years. It's years to overcome the abuse. And she was in our safe house, and she would always run to the same area of town, and we always would know where to go. We've got a ministry looking that looks for missing runaways as well that we partner with with some um uh, private investigators. But anyway, so that's, that's a, a woman, that's a, a young girl, great family, very supportive, had been in counseling, but still vulnerable because we all have brokenness in our family. Any family that has dysfunction, the child's going to be vulnerable. Right. So but every family has dysfunction. Exactly. Right? It's what
1: level of it's dysfunction? It's a spectrum. Leads not them spectrum. To, okay. Not
2: only is it a spectrum, it's not even that. The perpetrators study Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The perpetrator knows how to find out your vulnerability and use it against you. uh, It's more about the perpetrator knowing the vulnerability than it is even the vulnerability. Because again, this is a Christian family where this girl had a lot of support. Now, there's another girl, a 14-year-old girl in Allen, Texas, who was on her social media device. Now, this is another situation where there's more, more vulnerabilities, a single mom, three kids, uh, she gets grounded. I'm I'm mad at my mom. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, what's she doing? Do adults put too much stuff on social media? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't have a filter. And we're adults. And our prefrontal cortex does work. A kid, you know, this 15-year-old puts puts it out there. And she's saying, I hate my mom. I don't like the rules. It's summer. I'm grounded. I'm bored. I'm at home. Hey, mm-hmm. this, this girl, you know, looks just like her, close in her age. Come live with me. Give me your address. I'll come pick you up. There's no rules at my house. So a girl that
1: looks just like her. So is on a picture
2: online. So let me tell you. No, actually. She really did. So let me tell you, this girl was, the the perpetrator was trafficked at 16. Hmm. Now she's 19 and she's the recruiter. So pimps will enroll girls into high school to get to know other girls to recruit them for the purpose of recruiting. That happened at North Mesquite High School with a girl that volunteers with us. I play her this story. This
0: is like 21 Jump Street.
2: Yeah. Do y'all yeah. remember yes. that? I love like, that show, by the way. I know,
0: but they would put purposely yes. put
2: young-looking
0: detectives in okay. high schools yes. because of drugs Johnny and Dex. prostitution yes. and nope. all that. And I'm like, it really happens. And it's so sad So and these, scary.
2: these women are there to recruit. So now this girl's 19. So
0: she looks like she's a senior in high school, acting yeah. like she's a senior in high school, but really recruiting She's girls close to
2: this girl's age, a little bit older. So this young girl's looking up, look up to, to her. her. Oh, and she's word. like, come live with me. We'll have fun you can do whatever you want so she gives her her address well she didn't know this girl had a pimp so the pimp and this former victim now perpetrator come and pick her up they took her on So the pimps
0: in the car when yeah. she comes together. he was there
2: yep he was there and they both um can i can you want to hear some i don't know i'm not going to get super we're gonna graphic put a, but, no we're
0: going to put a warning in. okay okay in it, so. so they mm-hmm. both
2: basically gave her drugs had sex with her took pictures of her And then took her to an extended-stay motel in Louisville and put her online for sale with those pictures. A UNT professor bought her. Several men with Denton zip codes bought her. And then they took her on a five-state tour for two weeks. So, you know, you've heard of trafficking happening on the interstates. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what they did. They went down the interstate. And the reason they do that is they get her out of the area she's familiar with because it's harder to run away and ask for help. Yeah. And yep, so when you, you talk about force, fraud and coercion and threats and I'm going to kill your little brother if you don't do this, I'm going to kill your mom, I know where you live. They use all that evidence, all of that information they had gained as they were building a relationship, they now use against them. Mm-hmm. And I'll kill your grandmother, you know, whatever whatever it is. And so basically they took her on this, five, this two-week tour through five states. They ended up back at that extended stay motel in Louisville. And what I love about this is that Somebody who recognized something doesn't look right. This Here's a guy. He's got two younger girls with him. They're kind of not dressed appropriate for the weather. They appear to be out of it. Cars are coming and going all day and all night At that with motel. men from this hotel room. I better call the police for a well check. That's how this girl got rescued. Because wow. an observant citizen who knew how to identify, these are signs of human trafficking. I better do a cry for help.
1: And you even said a well check. So if you do see something like that. Is that you what call you the Is that what you
2: say? So here's the thing. You have to have enough language that the police officer knows that you know what you're talking about. Because, again, okay. if somebody calls and says, this guy followed me around Target, it's human trafficking. No, it's awesome. not. There is there. In, in fact, the sad thing is it's not against the law for a guy to follow you around Target. Mm-hmm. People are like, call the police, report him. The police can do absolutely nothing because this man has not broken the law. He's doing Which is why nothing. they're not going to show up. That's no. right. So the hard part about this situation is... If you know the girl appears to be a minor, the police can come and go in. The girl, the day that child turns 18 and sometimes 17, they're an adult. Mm -hmm.
0: Depends on the state, right? The 17 state. depends on the
2: state. And and the police can do nothing the day the child's 18 Mm -hmm. because they're an adult. So you can't just go in there, you know, and intervene. Mm -hmm. So then it takes more research, more investigation. Now, you can call the human trafficking hotline number one eight eight three seven three seven eight 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 and report it, hey, human trafficking I believe is happening at this hotel. Get the hotel room. The biggest thing you can do is get the license plate of any cars, particular the cars oh, they a, get yes. in. So we have a whole ministry where we take those license plates, do public data lookup, get all the information, the names, the phone numbers of everybody that is associated with the owner of that vehicle, and we partner with a private investigator for the one nonprofit. So I'll tell you a quick story. We went on outreach. Our, we have outreaches that go every single Saturday. We have one that goes from Frisco. They go to hotels, truck stops, convenience stores. They take posters of missing vulnerable youth. And we focus on minors because if we see one, the police can go. They're registered with NCMEC, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So we were in the 75-635 area. And our our volunteer went into the hotel. The clerk said, no, I don't recognize any of these children on the poster. However three men came in and rented a block of 12 rooms we know they have girls on in those rooms but we don't know what to do about oh it oh my gosh so we wow. got our private so this is wonderful because we are building relationships with the community and and they have and our hotels, posters and motels seem hotels, very important hotels, to build truck truck relationships stops, with churches nail salons fast food restaurants anybody where any place we know where a, a runaway or a missing child or a vulnerable youth might go so what happened is um Our private investigators we partner with went to the hotel, rented a room, some women, and they're just hanging out because if we see a minor, we're going to call law enforcement right away. We didn't see any that we suspected to be minors, but what we did is we got the license plate of two pimps and two women. From his license plate, we have um, with For the One, they have a, a computer program that will run that license plate and bring up every phone number associated with their name. This person had 48 phone numbers, Twenty-four had sex ads where they were selling women mm. online, and so we pack all of that up in a little bow so we can do things the police can't because they have to have a warrant. Well, we're just pub- we're just concerned citizens mm-hmm. using public data, yes, and, so and that everybody
0: our, has access to. And
2: all of our volunteers do that. This is a hundred percent volunteer-led uh, ministry, and so from that we found out that of those three perpetrators, one lived one or two lived one lived in Roy City and two lived in Terrell, which is kind of out in my neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. But they're coming in and trafficking in the city. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's a, a huge thing. So if you do, you know, you may feel helpless because I feel helpless when I see people being trafficked and I, and I know they are, and I can't do anything. But if I can get a license plate, they can get license plates and turn it into us. And we can run that. We can run a background check. We can see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then we can give that information. And I'll now tell you another thing is we subscribe to Um, Police have these and then repo companies, you know, the cars Mm -hmm. that drive around take pictures of license plates. We subscribe to that as well. So we can see every place that license plate has been. And we can see it's been to this hotel and this hotel and this restaurant and this strip club and this hotel. Well, clearly we know that this is not normal Mm -hmm. for a regular citizen. And so this is probably a trafficking ring and this is probably a perpetrator. And we take all that information, tie it in a bow and give it to law enforcement. And we've turned in more than 12,000 license plates to date. It's because of the church. It's because of our volunteers every Saturday that are going out on outreach. We cover about 700 locations every month Mm. because the church is stepping up and being a voice. So how many churches
0: do you have involved um, in your nonprofit right now.
2: So together. we have churches that partner on all different levels. As far as outreach, I think we have about 12 different locations. We're also in South Carolina. and We're also in Oklahoma. So we're starting to branch our outreach uh, ministry to other states, which is wonderful. Our first outreach in South Carolina, we got a tip about a girl. They gave us the address who she was with. She was with a convicted felon. She said, there's weapons, there's drugs. It's dangerous. She has no business being in there. And the woman had actually grown up with this young girl's father. And she goes, I know those kids. I love them. There'd been a divorce. He lost custody. His The mother was in jail. And there was just so much brokenness. Um, so what, what was your question? Churches, number just, of churches. Yeah. So we have churches, like we have a church in Oklahoma. We have a church in South Carolina. And then here locally, I mean, we have over 20, 25 churches, but some partner in different ways. We probably have 10 or 12 outreaches that, you know, we've got. And we do them by... Area. So like if we we have a church in Frisco that acts as a host for our Poema Outreach, we're inviting the, all the community of Frisco to come and serve on that team. We have a church in Rockwall, Mesquite, um, South Dallas, Mansfield, Fort Worth. And so we love, we're praying for more churches to come on board to be that host. But then we also have churches that partner with us at our safe house. They do We've got a big construction project. We're building four new bedrooms onto our safe house. So we've got construction teams that are going to come. We always need maintenance. We always need people mm-hmm. to help do the yard. We always need toilet paper, paper towels. We had one church. That was oh, I was ask, yes. How do you get
0: resources? Like how, I'm sh- you need money to be able to maintain we, the safe house? We definitely house. Need, need money to pay staff.
2: Like, we need, staff. yeah, we can't have our house open. The home was donated, fully paid for, fully furnished. And by a woman that lives up here in the area, and um, it it sat vacant for a year because I can't – a house is a house. People make it a home, and my staff is critical. So in one year, God blessed us with the finances to hire staff to open the home.
0: And you probably had to get permission to have a safe
2: house there or no? No, because we're not – doing we're doing 17 and older well it's complicated so if you're going to house minors you have to yeah. be licensed
0: right that's just what i that's the only
2: yes and interaction you have worked with, 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 uh, with minors that's so right. we had
0: to go through a big so if yeah. you do
2: adults there's no licensure required okay. however we have had minors in our home because there are not enough beds there are not enough people equipped to help them. And basically what we would do is like I went to juvenile detention and I picked a girl up and I they signed her over to me as her guardian. Oh, okay. So under guardianship, we mm-hmm. could have a minor come to our home. But we're not a licensed foster home. I looked into getting licensed. Um, and, and of course, my heart is youth. However, mm-hmm. the home that was donated to us, you have to have it's a book about this thick and yeah. it can take five years to get licensed. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want this home sitting here vacant for five years. And it... The square footage was not appropriate for the licensure requirements, so I was like, "Okay, mm-hmm. God, again, talk about flexibility." Yeah. Okay, God, my plan clearly is not your it's plan, not and so we're going to go ahead and open and serve seventeen and older. Seventeen's a gray area; people don't mm-hmm. want seventeen-year-olds because they're aging out of youth programs and they're too young to be an adult program. So that's kind of was our target. You know, is we'll, we'll take a seventeen-year-old, um, but it's it's very challenging. So, but but we love the churches. So we had one church that. Uh, every Sunday so we had one church that for a month four Sundays they just asked their life groups to bring household items we had a wish list it was toilet paper paper towels laundry detergent Anything you need in your home, basically, we can use in our home. And it was so encouraging because at the end of that month, we backed our car up there, loaded up the back, and then we've got storage in our garage with racking and shelving. And for about six months, I didn't have to buy toilet bowl cleaner. I didn't have to buy laundry detergent or Mm dishwashing soap. So the church has been a huge part of supporting what we do. Our our safe house wouldn't exist without it.
0: So um, if somebody wants to get involved... Oh, in your ministry. Um, Tell us, I mean, because we've talked about a lot today. We have. And you guys, it sounds like, have a lot of opportunity Mm -hmm. to be involved, whether it's providing resources you need, um, you know, whether that's, like you were saying, toilet paper, paper towels, cleaning supplies, people to work on yards, or more monetarily to pay for staff, all that kind of stuff, or even to volunteer, where do they go for that information?
2: Yes, so the best place would be to go to our website, and it's www.poemafoundation.org. Are you, are you and I'm gonna—I was gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna spell that. It's P-O-I-E-M-A Foundation.org. Okay, and, and that's so this way.
0: What is kind of the process, too? So they look, they want to be involved. Do they um, kind of email you guys on a contact form? Do they call?
2: So there's a volunteer applicant. We have Volunteer Hub. There'll be a link there on our website, and it'll have our calendar of all our volunteer opportunities. There is training. Like, if you want to volunteer at the Safe House, we vet people pretty heavily. You have to volunteer for six months. You have to have a background check. There's three different trainings, four different trainings that you go through. But that's to equip you so that you feel confident and prepared to go and serve at the safe house. Sure. Now, to come and mow our grass, we're gonna let you come and mow our grass. <laughs> you do have to sign a, a non disclosure and have that notarized. But we have all different levels of volunteering, like our outreach of taking these posters. It's once a month, and you just do one training that morning, and then you could go on any one of our outreaches all across the Metroplex. So that's typically we have those entry levels. And what we'd love to do is come and speak to your group, mm-hmm. whether it's yes. your church your school, your Girl Scout troop, you know, and teach human trafficking 101, just to raise awareness. My heart is prevention. If we can prevent the problem from happening, which I believe happens through education. Mm -hmm. So the more we can get people educated, like you said, to have their eyes open, Mm -hmm. you know, the governor, the governor's office on their website has a great documentary called Be the One. And, you know, we always say, see something, say something. And so the more educated and the more education you can get to get these false ideas of what trafficking is Mm -hmm. out of out of people's heads to really open their eyes like you you know going on an outreach we will see pimps checking girls out at 11 a.m we will see girls who are being trafficked so you get a a, you will see watchers they'll pay a homeless person a dollar to sit there all day and call if the police drive into the parking lot Mm -hmm. of the hotel and so just going on an outreach you can get a lot of education about what's happening in your community so those are some great ways people first steps
0: i liked what you said earlier just as we're closing, just to remind everybody, um, you just said about educating yourself about the language so that when you call, you make a call because you do see something. But it's important to know how to verbalize that well to law enforcement so that they know what you are saying and they can, you've got some credibility because the language itself demonstrates that you you're understand and you're educated. So what is so can you get that kind of information from the government website like you were saying or from your website or where do they go Yes, to so you can get that on the on the
2: governor's office has a great website for that. Taking a human trafficking 101 is great because we talk for an hour. We explain what to look for. And how to identify it and it's important and c7 coalition it's an anti-trafficking coalition Mm -hmm. one of the detectives there said if you i said do you want us to have people call you and he said yes but make sure they know the language so that they know what they are truly identifying as trafficking so that was from i was like okay i got that from the detectives so now it's our job to go educate the public Mm -hmm. so that when they do see it they law enforcement really knows that they recognize this truly as a trafficking case Mm -hmm.
1: All I That's really good. think of right now, too, is people hearing this going, this makes me so uncomfortable. I know. This makes me so uncomfortable. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get involved. And I think I would say, why does it make you uncomfortable? Right? Because it's the things that we go to sometimes that are easy for us. Like if it's it fits in my schedule. And
0: uncomfortable is not bad always either. Oh, I, yeah, I I don't,
1: yeah, I just mean yeah. like squirmy, like, yeah. wait, what's going on here? And maybe that is the Holy Spirit working in you to say, this is where you should be plugging in. And just because it is uncomfortable or it looks different doesn't mean that you shouldn't be plugging into it and looking into a place to serve because there's so many of us that want to serve and want to be useful and they just kind of discount it. Well, no, that's, I, I can't do that. That's
2: we're too supposed much. to do
0: something with this Bible knowledge we put in our heads all the time when we're at
2: church. Well, mm-hmm. and the, un- to do the uncomfortableness other. is fear often, mm-hmm. but education is power. And so you don't have to be afraid if you understand how, you know, if you understand how the perpetrator works, there's a great book called Left of Bang. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's what I we use to train our outreach leaders. And so if you you can put your head in the sand and pretend like it's not happening. And I always use, you know, kind of the example is written by, I I think, a a Marine commander who wrote the book. But, you know, when we first started war in the Middle East, a a woman with a baby would walk up to you. And what did our soldiers do? Mm -hmm. Provide aid. And then what happened? Blown up. She, she got blown up yeah. you know, she blew herself up and killed a bunch of soldiers so what this this whole the premise of this book is that that's re there's a bang and i'm reacting right of bang mm. so the premise of the book is left of bang how do i how do i learn to be trained to perceive the danger before, before the bang? It yeah. and that's the whole point of getting involved yeah. and getting educated about trafficking because mm-hmm. a lot of it could be prevented mm-hmm. if you know what to look for which
1: goes back to our statement of you can do hard things women Absolutely. Like you can do hard things. Oh, believe Well, and me. we're
0: meant to. We're even, you can because we're meant to, because the Lord is there in our weakness. So, and I think that's, we avoid our weak spots because they're hard and it's difficult. And, you know, we, God can fill those. I mean, and I think too, we, this whole, we talk about this thing about gifting. It's not always about your gifts. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Like look at Moses, how many, so many opportunities that God put People in the middle of hard, hard stuff that he filled,
2: but he void. gave. But he gave him Aaron, because and he, he gave him people yeah. to hold his arms. He gave up. the church. I for can't. Us to I can't do, do this on I my own. Know. We, we would not, an Aaron. Yeah, we would not exist. Yes. And we have so many amazing women warriors. And our challenge is for the men to step up and get involved as well. Yeah,
1: that's a good um, and point. we
2: are having more and more men step into the space, but predominantly it's women stepping into the space
0: because like a lot that. of the women you're probably helping are scared of men or don't trust men.
2: Uh, many, do, many, many, interactions are inappropriate? So just like we talked about, our story compels us to our ministry often, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing what I do because of my story. Yeah. And so many of the people that come to us, part of that is the vetting process. So the reason we vet people for six months is I want to make sure you're emotionally healthy mm-hmm. before I put you in a situation to go hear a horrific abuse story yeah. that's going to trigger you because you haven't done your own emotional healing. Right. And so we do have a lot of survivors, but it empowers them. And we have men that have been abused that I I can't tell you how many men when I've been vulnerable and shared my story had a pastor at a big church here in in town come to me and he's in his 60s and he said, that happened to me as a kid and I've never told anybody Mm till today. And I said, well, today God's taking you into deeper surrender and your healing journey is beginning. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are, you know, broken um, and this is a place they feel like they can fit in and be open and vulnerable and serve as well, I think so.
0: That's amazing. I think so that's a good, good place to so end. So good. Because, thank you. Yes, we thank you for sharing with us so much. Well, we really, for the really appreciate it. And we're, um, hopefully, people are, who, you know, the ones listening, we feel like God puts um, podcasts in people's ears for a reason, just like everything else.
2: Well, and they can so. shoot an email of info, I-N-F-O, okay. at org If they want more information, we can shoot them an email too. Okay. So. That's
0: great. Yeah, and if you're even... I mean, if you're listening to and any part of Rebecca's story resonates as far as just your own personal struggles with abuse that you maybe haven't talked about or whatever, we have obviously um, resources here at the church too Mm -hmm. that we can connect you with. So make sure you call and contact us um, and we will put you in touch with those because you aren't meant to suffer alone. God provided the church for a reason. So anyway, we love y'all. This is Noisy Narratives out. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. Bye.
1: What happens now?